0: Because you have to believe that your story is valuable and that if your story exists, there is a there is an identical story out there. And sometimes the way for us to heal or at least even approach what happened to us or what we experienced, whether it's positive or negative, is to just see someone else articulate it in a way that makes us think, oh, one, this is a real thing, two, this happens to other people, three, I didn't even look at it this way. Welcome to the Power Hour the weekly podcast that
1: will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life, and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, The Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is returning to the podcast. She was one of my very first guests when the show first launched. Last time she was here, we discussed her journey from fashion blogging and art to becoming an author, speaker, and a voice for women around the world. Her first book, What a Time to Be Alone, taught us the value of self worth, self acceptance, and why we should embrace solitude. This year, she's back with a brand new book, How to Get Over a Boy. Welcome back to the studio the brilliant and beautiful chidira Eguru, aka
0: the slumflower oh my god that was. Probably the best introduction I've had of all time. Oh, that was amazing! I love the introduction. Thank you so much. You're Adrian. so welcome. I'm um, actually, like, we were talking about this um before that I was looking forward to coming back on this, and I even remember when we first recorded. I was like, I can't wait to come back. I'm already coming back. Yeah, and I'm glad that I've already beat the record of being the first returning guest. First returning guest. Set the precedent. Everybody else catch up.
1: It had to be you. <laughs> it had to be you. So thank you for coming in for being here. So good to have you back. Because often I feel like now I only get to see you very rarely at parties actually
0: honest the last place we saw each other and don't judge us okay <laughs> but this was like it's very our style the last place we saw each other was at Richard Branson's um, virgin media party it was and the party before was Maya's birthday yes. so from one extreme <laughs> literally from
1: eating McDonald's um, at Maya's party she she throws the best parties to of be course. fair to yeah Richard Branson's party I Can mean imagine. where are we going to meet each other next probably like on a spaceship at this point who knows who knows, knows? <laughs> No, but I feel like, I'm, you know, what this sounds really bougie and exciting, but I don't actually go to that many parties. <laughs> but when I do, you're there. So congratulations, firstly, on all of your hard work and success. Uh, I mean, I, I see it and I see you and I hear you and I think we all do. And it's just so, so amazing to see. And since you were last here, I mean, girl, you've been busy and you've been making headlines, some yeah. which I can't even <laughs> read because they're in different language. <laughs> global. Um, so yeah, tell us, I guess, how would you describe the
0: response in the last year to your work? It's been the kind of response that really makes you grow as a person because what a lot of people don't understand or realise is that the other side of what comes with gaining popularity, especially in this social media age, is that you have a lot of people projecting expectations onto you that they don't even live up to in their own lives. And so it becomes your challenge as the person bearing the popularity to make sure that you prioritise how you see yourself above how others see you. And that's something that I've had to learn this past year because as much as I've had so much positivity come my way, the thing about life is that where there's positivity, there will always be negativity, like you can't see black without white, so you have to just expect that there will always be something else, some sort of friction and tension. And I've had that where some people, because, they haven't experienced a particular situation or I guess phase of their life that will allow them to understand where I'm speaking from, they will never understand it. So it's like, you. it becomes your own personal challenge as well to learn that you can't expect people to see things your way. All you can do is just speak your truth, explain if you want to, but understand that it It can't be about convincing people. Um, And that's something that has been very freeing for me, understanding that it's not my responsibility to convince you to want better for yourself. And if seeing someone else say that they want better for their stuff and they're going to actively pursue it brings a a sense of resentment inside you, then that's more something for you to observe and examine in your own time. But I've had to definitely learn, also through witnessing other people's journeys expand and grow, that we're all on our own life journey and it's inspiring to be able to be in a position where I can encourage other people to evolve and choose better for themselves and I I love every moment of it and I hope I can get to do this for the rest of my life because as much as it does allow me to access comfort and safety in this annoying capitalist world we exist in, outside of that it's given me so many opportunities to really develop as a person i feel like if i wasn't in the position that i'm in i probably would have been far less emotionally and i guess even spiritually developed
1: <laughs> wow in a nutshell
0: amazing yes. <laughs> well,
1: I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking well quite a few things really because you said about you know speaking your truth and i think you're somebody who you you speak your truth you live your truth and i think often when people see someone who is Outwardly confident, and what they would what they would perceive to be confidence, they assume that you know that their opinion they can share their opinion with you, they can challenge you on your opinion, and that actually by you speaking that truth, which can change, you know, our our, cha- our truth can change, but that you are then almost held accountable to those words to live up to an expectation because you Chidera are now a spokeswoman and a role model,
0: <laughs> so everything you say and do must align with that. Do you ever feel that all the time? all the time and I find the journey of learning to become indifferent to it very exciting because it's almost like you're put in this position where every single thing you do and say is recorded. Um, Whether it's the fact that the internet has an everlasting memory or the fact that people genuinely will like hold screenshots and be like, well you said this last week so I don't think that you're being a true person right now. But outside of that it's like, People don't understand how much of a luxury it is to be able to make mistakes in private. And when you're a person who is like a public figure, you don't have that luxury anymore. I didn't know how much of a luxury it was to be able to um, experience saying things that no one's ever gonna wanna look at what I thought three years ago because I'm not someone who has enough of a popularity. It's the equivalent to, do you remember back in the day before we had like Twitter and Instagram, which are now our main sort of forums, there were things like Reddit where, when you were 17 in, I don't know, 2009 on Reddit, you had this anonymous profile and you could write all the weird things you wanted to write and basically just evolve out of that weird teenage phase we all go through where we don't realise how bigoted some of us were and, after your account is gone, you get to either create a new account and resurface as someone who is a new anonymous person, or you can even move to another social platform and there'll be no digital record of who you used to be. I feel like in this day and age, that's now a luxury, the fact that your data is is gone in that sense. Um, But then when you are someone who is a public figure and people are committed to your journey, that also comes with a lot of people who would be committed to misunderstanding you because we have to also look at the larger picture, which is that the press and certain publications literally make money off of misunderstanding people who are an easy target. And we've seen that play out in the past year. And it's very dangerous, which is why I always have to keep in mind that no matter how fun this is and no matter how much I enjoy it I have to make sure to remember to preserve myself
1: hmm. yeah and, and sensationalizing or taking things out of context or you know especially because you know I think what you say and your message and the way that you portray things you don't you don't live in the gray you know you say <laughs> definitely all, not you know so <laughs> therefore I think it, it's very easy as you said to target that and go okay look at this and you know kind of make it an extreme because it's one sentence or one you know yeah. kind of snapshot or caption of of without the without the bigger t- context so with all that in mind how do you create how do you then say okay i'm going to write another book i'm going to you know i don't know deliver a talk or i'm going to speak about a topic with the kind of confidence to say this is yeah my work
0: with knowing all of that because you have to believe that your story is valuable and that if your story exists there is a there is an identical story out there and sometimes the way for us to heal or at least even approach what happened to us or what we experienced, whether it's positive or negative, is to just see someone else articulate it in a way that makes us think, oh, one, this is a real thing, two, this happens to other people, three, I didn't even look at it this way. And I feel like that feeling of, wow, I've never looked at it at in that way and that resonates with me, is the feeling that I always want to create. And I feel like it's the equivalent to, for a musician, a musician's, desire is to create the feeling that they got when they heard that song that made them think, oh my God, I am in love with this. I'm going to have this on repeat for the rest of the day. Like, that's the feeling. I love the feeling of being able to hear something be articulated to me and then that makes me now examine my situation with this new set of tools. And so when I do that for other people, that for me feels like I am doing something that gives because I love to give and... I had to learn very early on that there are many ways to give without depleting yourself and you have to find your groove because I do think that we all have a responsibility on this planet to give in some way or another. For some people, their skill is spoken word and poetry. For others, it's music. For some people, it's literal philanthropy where they're working in Uganda and helping kids. For other people, it's being a teacher, like whatever you can do to give to this world, I think that's so, so, so powerful. And so no matter how much I'm misunderstood or how reactive some people can be, what I've learned as of quite recent actually is that I've had a few people who have returned and have said that after a while they realized where I was coming from or something happened to them and then they saw why I said what I said and then it completely changed the way that they approached their life and when they applied it and they got certain results they now came back feeling grateful that I ever shared that and then they would also apologize for misunderstanding me so it's like when I have people approach me in that way it makes me not necessarily more compassionate, but more understanding that people will only arrive where you are when they're ready. And so you have to believe that what you have to bring to this world is more valuable than the negativity that will, that will always just exist there in some form of, of, or another. Like, I've never come across any person who is successful in what they do without anybody trying to doubt them or without them coming across people that are resistance to what they're trying to do because you find that people like that who are really really cynical and resistant to people who are trying to be positive you have to keep in mind that that cynicism exists in other places in their life too like that person probably doesn't trust joy and you just got to leave them where they are
1: mm, yes i know that and that feeling that you described then you know when you talked about music and the way it impacts people and how so many different people you can be different age different race different gender different country it speaks universally which is why you know for example an artist that everybody loves around the world it kind of it has that universal feel as you described of going i this resonates with me it's an actual feeling even if you can't articulate it and i think being able to offer that through as you said any different form but through a book and through it must be incredible and to hear people say to you thank you chadira you know i see it all the time thank you for writing this book thank you for sharing this hashtag thank you for sharing your imagery for being who you are because it's taught me or it's given
0: me it's allowed me it's given me permission that must be an amazing feeling it really is and what I find the most powerful about it is that the thank yous I get are from women who have often been told that you've missed your bus stop this is your last chance like you're too old or you're too fat or you've had kids now no one's going to desire you it's all women from the least likely expected walks of life telling me that they've been able to find their happy ending as a result of me redirecting them and I think that's so amazing and I hope I can continue to encourage people to be able to find their own happy ending that's all I want to do and as much as at times my approach is probably spiky or a little abrasive So was the origins of feminism. Like, feminism didn't start by people politely being like, excuse me, sir, please may I have some more respect? It never started like that. It started by some women, unfortunately, throwing themselves in front of horses. Some women were smashing department store windows. Some women were literally throwing arsenic. Like, it was violent out here because they were responding to the very consistent violence that we're still dealing with every day. They had to demand more. They had to literally demand more Mm. and sometimes you've got to raise your voice a little bit for people to take you seriously. And it's a shame the world has to be that way. Mm. But if you don't do that, nothing gets done. I Amen. And also that happy ending that you described might not be necessarily the happy
1: ending that they thought of or the happy ending that we are told to prescribe to. So the first book, What a Time to be Alone, I mentioned it talks about solitude and I don't know i feel like when we spoke before it wasn't a new concept but i feel like it was newer i feel like now you know a lot more mainstream people are talking about this this idea of solitude so do you think that as a society we are changing our view on solitude particularly for women
0: i think we definitely are we're realising that it's almost the equivalent to you've been hacking away at this piece of wall, peeling away at it for years, and you're realising, you know what, Like this is a big wall, it's taken ages for me. There's no way I'm going to be able to carve out a tunnel through this wall. Like I'm going to have to just do something else, like get a sledgehammer and just break this wall. And that's how I feel about people realising that the more we invest ourselves in trying to create relationships from a place of lack rather than from a place of abundance, it just keeps on leaving us feeling depleted. And at some point as a human being, when you realise something isn't working, you're forced to do something else. And if that something else means turning inward and rebuilding a relationship with yourself, a lot of people don't realise that that's the most powerful decision you can make in your entire life, because that sets the tone for everything else, not just your relationships, how you operate in your work environment how you now talk to your children, how you talk to strangers in the street who annoy you, like because that becomes your vibration. That becomes your default mode of moving through the world. And so once you are operating from a place of abundance and safety and security in yourself and not feeling like you need someone, but feeling like... I am such a great person right now that if I were to merge with another person who is just as great and feels just as great about their self, I think we would have an amazing time. As opposed to why why am I always overlooked? I don't feel like people understand how much of a lovely person I am. Maybe if I find a relationship that shows me how amazing I am, then maybe I'll feel better about myself. Like when you really investigate where your desires are coming from, that's the same place where you'll find your power. And so this new shift in mindset of people now embracing solitude is so amazing because throughout the noughties, we were fed loads and loads of like rom-coms and like chick flicks that really do center romance and falling in love and not that falling in love will never not be an amazing thing to watch on screen or to experience but it's that there was far too much emphasis on it, far too much and not enough emphasis on the happily ever after where you just mind your business and get on with your life. Like that is a major happily ever after to be able to get on with things after feeling like you would never, ever, ever be able to get through this storm of confusion or feeling, you know, like you've detached from someone that you're codependent with. Like there's just so much power in being alone. And so I look forward to seeing a world where more people are talking openly about solitude especially with their children and like rather than saying one day you're going to you know have your own family and get married it's like well let's start with one day you're going to be this amazing wonderful person who gets to experience all these lovely things in the world and you might bump into someone who wants to experience all those things with you but for now focus on being that amazing person with yourself like that's more of the narrative that we need to see in the world.
1: That sounds amazing. And honestly, I think I was even thinking before when you mentioned learning to be yourself, who you are, exploring that. We don't teach that to children. We're never taught. We're never encouraged to challenge to learn to be yourself. And it might seem like a concept like, how can you learn to be yourself? But we teach children, okay, from from very young age how to share, how to co-inhabit with others, how to react and respond to authority like a teacher or a parent or an older sibling. We're teaching them social cues, social norms, emotional reactions to say, this is how you should interact and even things around, you know, listening, speaking, when to ask a question, when to, you know, when you're allowed to speak, we're teaching that. And I see that as a parent myself, but we don't teach them, as you just said, to learn about themselves who are they what do they like why why do you it's about everyone else it's about how you're gonna get on in a group or how you're gonna be good in class or how you're gonna work in a team but never actually how can you do things in isolation
0: yeah because you have to be the example like kids don't you would know this because you have a kid like Mm -hmm. kids don't do what you say they do what you do annoyingly and But it doesn't have to be annoying. It can be an amazing thing if you are literally living the example. And so I think why, I mean, and this is speaking from a very humble, you know, I don't have a child, so I'm speaking from a very humble place, correct me if I'm wrong. But from my understanding of someone who has been parented, when you have a parent who is struggling with their own stuff and struggling with their own identity, as a child, you're never thinking, my mum's just having a human experience and she's in her 20s and is clueless as to how to keep another human being alive, but also to instill values in them that are consistent and that will allow them to move through the world in a way where they have a sense of self-identity and they're confident and independent. It's like, well, first of all, how do I even be that in myself? Like, a lot of people, and this is why I feel like, I wish there was a way where, you know how when a mother is pregnant and she goes to the um, checkups to see the baby's development, I wish there was some sort of thing for her mental um, development as well, because I feel like it is a development to go from a child-free woman to being a mother, like, that is a lot and there should be like mandatory therapy, like how you have a, ha- like a home visitor. There should be some sort mm. of, because it is a lot and a lot of people aren't ready. Like their bodies might be physically ready, but in terms of stepping into that role of showing up for a child, they're not ready because they don't even know how to show up for their inner child. And mm. so for us to even be able to create a world where kids are taught to be independent, we have to also be ready for kids to challenge us. But for kids to challenge us us means for us to now have to be honest with ourselves and mm. sometimes it's easier to just say because i said so than it is to say you know what you made some points there i was wrong <laughs> like because then that just completely throws it's off using. the power dynamic mm-hmm. yeah
1: and i think as you're describing there, emotional support in prenatal would be amazing because i think often the support only comes later in postnatal if there's you know an issue if the if they you know, if someone's saying, okay, I have postnatal depression, please help me, then they might seek that support. When actually, as you said, transitioning from being you, yourself in this world to then becoming a mother, looking at, at your identity as a mother and also still as yourself. And then, you know, young people, younger, young children up to the age of, I think, maybe six, seven, eight, the world is, they're very egocentric. The world to them revolves around them. So therefore, as you just described, if your parent is having a bad day or they're stressed or they're angry or they're upset, the child will think that they have some, they've played a role in that. That it's somehow their fault or that they've impacted you. They don't think you've just had a stressful day at work. So yeah, I think, gosh, I mean, there's so much we need to get into with that mm. parenting. Wow. But <laughs> obviously in the first book, you know, we t- you talked about solitude and as you said, you know, it is becoming... I guess more accepted as a topic, but what about I guess the people that would argue that you know, as human nature, we you know we we thrived in tribes and you know historically I guess like our civilization has shown us that we co inhabit and we procreate and we live together and that's how we kind of you know thrive as as a species. So do you think that yes, that's a part of it and we need that, or do you think that actually now the world has impose this ideology on us of things like marriage and having a family and staying with that one partner or that life partner forever regardless of how you might change what might happen in your life yeah and who does it who benefits most I guess from us having this construct
0: yeah I feel like as much as I'm pro solitude and pro being with yourself we still need people but for us to function healthily we need to know how to need ourselves and show up for ourselves first. So, I'm still always going to be pro marriage, pro anything union, because I'm a Libra rising. So, if anybody who's interested in astrology, <laughs> Libras, we love relationships. We are here to instill harmony, balance. We seek, we seek companionship. That's what we want. So, like the world literally needs that. There's a whole sign and energy dedicated to that. But I still ultimately feel like the world would be far less fractured if we were taught to see that every single individual, one of us, we're one of a kind. There are no copy and paste of us. Like even if you have a twin, there are differences. Like you're so uniquely made that think about the power that would come from you merging with another or merging with another group or like, us all bringing our tools together like it's literally why here we go with astrology again why there are different groups of signs you have fire signs you have air signs you have earth signs you have water signs in terms of the zodiac and each sign that's in a particular group has a set of qualities when um, that show up the best when they're interacting with another sign from a different element like we have a group of elements in the world that work together. So togetherness is a key theme here in our evolution and our existence. But each element, when you isolate it, is incredibly powerful. Fire as an element is powerful. It literally burns, it radiates heat and light, and it emits smoke. So if you can't feel it, you can smell it. And if you can't even smell it, you can probably see it. And if you can't see it, then you can hear it crackling something. Or like you have air, Air can be something that is barely detectable, but then it can also be a whole entire tornado. So it's like we are individually powerful. So if we know how to learn to have the patience to understand each other and interact with each other better and prioritise growth as a union, we could be powerful as a species, but our priorities don't lie in that because we're very, very ego-focused and that comes from fear And that fear comes from the cultures and religions that we um, are born or raised into or that we choose to practice. And as much as culture and religion isn't entirely bad, it's the idea that we do use eternal damnation or you will burn in hell forever if you don't commit your life to Christ. Like the idea that it's almost like you're under duress because if that was a contract that contract would be null and void because you signed it under duress so it's like how mm-hmm. do we how do we even be able to form a society that is a lot more harmonious without us actually having the conversation of how much of this is rooted in love and how much of this is rooted in fear oh
1: yes i mean i was not expecting that answer at all (laughs) at all I was
0: like okay but
1: also you know as a Christian as well it's like I feel there's like there's faith and there's religion you know there's faith and that can be your own experience with God I think there's religion which tells us the rules that tells us the as you said you know the damnation the kind of you know you must and you mustn't and all of that but yeah I definitely did not expect that answer and I feel like I'm going to re-listen to it and take notes take notes yes because it's you know it's true and it's I like the visual kind of description I think that's very powerful to describe you know things in isolation ha- they are powerful and and when you unite that with something else it should amplify that it's not to complete it you know this thing of if you're solo once you find that man then or once you, you find are that woman human, <laughs> yes they were always an element of course but then you're going to you know you like you said tick the box of happiness or what is prescribed to be happy and i think in this society that we live in and you know within capitalism especially around you know just just conform just stick to these rules because that's going to benefit everyone but actually by everyone it's like who actually does benefit the most of course the people in power you know whether that's us living in homes paying mortgages paying taxes being married it's like we can see where you all are (laughs) and that's that's good for us you know but moving on because i could definitely go off on one tangent about that the next book the new book this year you're talking to us about how to get over a boy so the titles would suggest but i know there'll be some surprises in there so tell us who did you write this book for and i'm assuming i'm assuming there's a lot of
0: people waiting to get their hands <laughs> on it who are
1: like tell me to how do i how
0: do i get over a boy so i actually dedicated the book to my unborn daughter i want this to be something that is just it's for her it's like if I were to have a daughter right now what would be the values that I would instill in her as a woman moving through the world should she choose to date men like that's based on the assumption that she might choose to date guys Um, but also it was like a reminder for women that it's okay to make yourself the center of your world And we aren't told that. We don't hear it enough from our mums. Some of us heard it from our mums, but then the world told us otherwise, so we listened to the world instead. Or it was that we never really got the nurturing that we needed, and so it meant that we would use relationships as a place to seek that and try to facilitate it, even if it's synthetic and fake and it never lives up to what we truly want, but we patch and mend and we go anyway and we keep on muttering under our breath, but we still stay. It's like that sort of thing. And I wanted to just completely break the mold and say, you know what, enough is enough because the most important day of your life will be the day that you decide you've had enough and nobody can tell you you've had enough. It's only you that will know when the load on your back feels too heavy. Like You're the one that will tell us. And so I feel like this book is for those who are on the cusp, so they're on either side. It's either that the load is getting heavier and they're on their their last few paces or they've just finally decided they've had enough and they kind of need an enabler to remind them that you have made an amazing decision. You did it, congratulations. Like, that's why I always say to women who've had a divorce, I'm like, congratulations. I don't even care how awkward it sounds because like endings are new beginnings and anybody who's able to come out of something so long-term and so enmeshed and so complicated, at first it might not feel like freedom because it's scary, but it's better that you left than you stayed because I feel like with a lot of situations, and this is part of what really inspired me to write this book, the longer you stay, the harder it is to leave. And as someone who has stayed in many situations that I could literally liken to a tumour, I kept on finding reasons and ways to convince myself that if I just ignore this little thing, I can last another five years here. Or if I just learn how to ignore it and adapt to it, then maybe I'll just be able to blend into the background and still stay because there is a sense of safety in the chaos, which is very strange to visualize. But we all find ways to do it sometimes in our lives where we we slack a bit on being our own guardian and really asking ourselves, like, if this was my daughter and she told me this, what would I tell her? Like, that's the constant tone I kept on referring to in my mind when I was writing this book. And it was hard writing it at certain points because I do talk about how your relationship with your mother has a very, very, very interesting influence on the way that you approach relationships. And we don't often make the effort to look at the similarities in what we saw at home and how we play that out in our relationships. Because we aren't taught to have those thoughts, thought patterns or even conversations of ourselves. And so my aim with this book is to hopefully see a world where there are no longer women just losing years, decades of their lives to men who do not do anything for them. It's just not fair in a world where we already have enough being taken of us. We already have our reproductive rights being controlled by men. Like, it's just not fair and there's no way to justify or rationalise it. And so through having a world where women are putting themselves first and choosing their own happiness, automatically men will have to level up, but it's never about, this book isn't even for men to try and convince them to level up. It's more for women to understand that you you lose literally nothing by letting go of someone who is holding you back like you literally can't fly without letting go of the things that are like tied to your ankles like you literally have to let go of the excess baggage mm-hmm. and so that man is the excess bag excess baggage and you have to drop him like he would drop a tumor because he's just like growing as a result of being attached to you and he's getting heavier and heavier like you have no choice but to remove that wow. because it might hurt to remove the tumor you have a scar there you're gonna be on the mend for a few weeks but then after that you realize how much lighter you feel, and you will have so so much more space for new options. And you're a whole new person, and like you're never going to stop bonding with people who find value in you. Like, if you fall in love, with, if someone could fall in love with you, that means 10 other people could fall in love with you. Like, for someone to see beauty in you, in you why wouldn't other people see that same beauty? <clears throat> like, I don't believe this idea that there is only one person who can see you for who you are like that person happened to be able to see you for who you are because you spent enough time with them you bonded with them and you both went through experiences that allowed you to to to, to grow together in ways that you might not have been able to do with other people but then you don't have to be tied to just those experiences and that's what i try to articulate to people in the book
1: You described then, you know, the idea of the woman saying, "Okay, I can't carry this burden anymore or making the decision that I have had enough or, you know, I'm making this choice and that they are making the choice. How about for the woman who the other person's made the choice. So there's an element of a feeling of rejection, maybe. There's a feeling that the, you know what I'm saying? So the other person is saying, I want to end this relationship. And they may be feeling that there's this new vacancy and absence in their life that they can't feel fulfilled or they'll never feel happiness again. Or they feel like, actually, if this person doesn't love me or has rejected me, I'll never get over this because I still love them and I still want to be desired by them. And we know that, right? We've seen it play out where they're like, they can't, move on or build their self-esteem because that is actually the final nail in the coffin that says look (laughs) he doesn't want me and i you know how, how how difficult that is so how can people if they're in that position start to think about how to get over a boy
0: yes that's actually an important question because i think for a lot of women we put our eggs in in one basket in one guy and i feel like in this day and age your basket needs to be made of metal cushioned with polystyrene, lined with fleece, with a, with a steel case on the top that padlocks shut and it has a code on it because your eggs are precious. And that is a metaphor for you just protecting yourself because if you put your eggs in a flimsy basket, AKA a man who, there is no sense of longevity here. There is no sense of long-term comfort, long-term safety, long-term opportunity for this to blossom and grow into something more expansive and more amazing. You're holding on to an illusion. And the thing about illusions is that it's just it, you cannot grasp it. It's not tangible, and so you're going to constantly create new reasons to justify its existence, and it will only be in your imagination. And it's it 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 sucks to view it in that way, but for me, it's like if a guy decides to leave me, it's like well. Well done genius, because you'll never see me again and I'm only gonna level up now after this and you're gonna eventually look for me or you're gonna come across me by word of mouth or just somehow you're gonna know that I still exist and I'm going to be so much more evolved and so so much better, more gorgeous, more happy, more healthy. I have more experience and more knowledge that I wouldn't even go for you with the level of self-awareness I have now. So consider yourself lucky that there was a time when I didn't know myself enough to know that you were not even good enough for me. Like that's the level of vim and confidence you need to have in yourself if a guy drops you. It's like, you know what? That's your own loss. I don't need to tell you it's a loss. Mm -hmm. You just start moving immediately. Like you pick up from where you left yourself and you just begin the work, mend yourself. Don't just leap into another relationship. I don't really believe in that. I'm not against it, but I don't believe that that's doing the work because you're just leaping into something identical to what you just left. Like Mm. it's still familiar. When When you space it out a bit and in that space what you're doing is examining yourself, you're questioning your taste, you're doing everything. You're like literally looking at, I view it as like, because in my personal opinion, I view men as experiments and experiences to get to know myself through. So each man is literally like, there's a pamphlet, case study of each guy. Guinea pig. Yeah, what went wrong? What were the red flags that I identified beforehand that have now been confirmed after meeting him? Like all these things I do, and I use it honestly as a way to refine my radar as a way to be able to be more, um, it's almost like, you develop a sixth sense, a spidey sense for this isn't good enough for me or this is going to wear me down or this is going to waste a lot of my time and my time is my money and my money is my comfort and my comfort is my safety. So I cannot afford to mess about. And that's the way that I think a lot more women should be thinking because in a world where we have disproportionately far less access to comfort and safety and resources, we have got to do extra to keep ourselves safe because men don't protect women, even though men have significantly more power than women. And so part of protecting yourself is being more intentional about who you're entering a relationship with because that person has a direct influence on the direction your life moves in, whether you're conscious of it or not. And so you have to make sure that you're partnering and merging merging with someone who constantly inspires you to be better and not just inspiring you, but also facilitating your growth where possible. So if that person is the kind of person that's really, really encouraging. Um, They should be encouraging you. If that person happens to have, I don't know, friends or family or connections in something that you really want to explore, they should put you in that direction. They should help you. They should do everything to take you closer to who you want to be, or else they are a malignant tumor. They're just there doing nothing, you could literally be by yourself and you would be just as stagnant. Like they're not making enough of a difference. Men should make a positive difference in your life. It's mm-hmm. the least they could do. <laughs> it's the least they could do. You me
1: laugh. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And also I was thinking, you know, are there any, I guess, practical advice, tools to give to people to say, okay, as I described this kind of vacant feeling or this absence or like not, as you said, not filling it with yet another relationship. Are there any practical skills, tools people could start with to say, you know what, in this period I'm going to start to do this every day maybe a daily practice or I'm going to start to invest my time energy and love into this project
0: or something like that yeah speak about this in a part of the book where it's important to understand that like going through a breakup or just being in this idle period where you're not with anyone is the opportunity to give like give blood do something like donate your time to a charity do something that makes you feel like you're your contribution is necessary and valued because sometimes when you when you come out of a relationship you feel like nothing you did was of value and another thing that I think really really works is understanding that if it didn't if it wasn't meant for you then it had to end and if you could see if you were just given like a one minute trailer of what's coming in the future for you you would be so excited that this happened the way it happened it's almost like when you're watching a movie like a action-filled superhero movie where you know you've got the beginning part where it shows you how this character was able to evolve past their trauma and become a superhero and then in the middle you see like a massive trial and tribulation they go through where they're getting like pummeled and beaten up by some other villain and then in the end this person is now victorious but then it's like we romanticize the end part of the film but it's like what about that middle part where he was getting beaten up and he thought he was gonna lose his powers and like he had to find something in himself to get out. Like you can't have that happy ending without that bit in there. It's just like no rain, no rainbows. And so you have to understand, it's an ugly process. There's no fun way to hold yourself accountable because you played a role in this dynamic, you actively enabled it, you welcomed it, you encouraged it, you nurtured it, knowing that it's doing nothing for you. So you now have to really, really question yourself, but it has to be compassionate. And not a lot of us, a lot of us don't know how to compassionately question ourselves. Cause when we question ourselves, it often comes in the voice of like self doubt and calling yourself stupid or, you know, saying things like this always happens to me. I don't know why this always happens to me. Maybe I'm just not smart enough. Maybe this is just how my life is going to be. Like you just can't view it in that way. And for often me- for women, I think it comes down to an aesthetic of well, within self-esteem, my friends. Yeah. self-esteem. Yeah, saying, oh, oh you know, God. I'm too fat. I
1: need to lose oh, weight. Or, oh, I'm just, I'm not attractive enough. Or that kind of desirability. I think the, the the external factors. For personally, my experience of friends who I've witnessed, you know, leave relationships they might have been in for five years, eight years, whatever. The first thing they go to is I need to improve myself and it's usually firstly physical you know I'm going to hit the gym I'm going to cut my hair I'm going to get a facial I'm going to make myself look amazing because then I'm going to feel amazing because I'll be desirable and it's kind of that thing of actually maybe you know recreating habits of as you said learning or service of others or even just figuring out what do you even like now? Like in terms of daily habits, you know, when people say you as a couple, you might do things together. So there's things in your room. There's maybe, what do you actually want in your room? Do you want that colour yeah. curtains? Do you want plants in your room? Do you want an alarm clock? Do you want, you know what I mean? Like figuring out, actually, you now have autonomy. I? Yeah, autom- I can't speak. Auto- I can't say Auton- autonomy. it. Autonomy. <laughs> Thank you. <I'm> saying <laughs> You now have autonomy over your choices and your time and your life and yourself. I think like we
0: forget that, that you can actually re- choose, redefine like everything if you want to. Like that, that is such a powerful place to be. Like that is the most exciting part. Like I feel like that part is kind of a bit more exciting than the relationship because that's the part where you create the person who attracts the person you're gonna be with. Like you could literally decide today you know what I'm going to be completely different in my approach to dating I'm going to completely change where I hang out I'm going to take on new hobbies I'm going to be in environments where I'll meet a whole different set of people I did it and it worked for me like I when I was writing this book I spent before that I spent a year alone but then when I started writing this book I was like you know what I'm going to carry out some experiments the dating chronicles yes the dating chronicles (laughs) (laughs) so um, what adrian just mentioned um is this thing that I was doing on my Instagram where I would post my interactions with various men on dating apps. I'd scrub out their identities, so you don't know who they are, but you just see the ways that they, we interact and I'll point out things that are red flags to me and I'll say things like, you know, this guy strikes me as someone that might be controlling because look what he said here. And I would just do that and share it with people so they can see an insight into how I've reached my conclusions. And while I would go on some of these dates, I wasn't really going on these dates to be like, I hope this guy is the one. This could be something. Oh, my goodness, we could get married. But it was more just, I just want to see, like, what can I learn about myself in this? What can I learn about men? What can I learn about human behavior? Also, I'm trying to try this food in this restaurant as well. Like, I'm just curious about, you know what I mean? It's like, and I feel like... It's just an
1: experience. Yeah, dating, Honest.
0: yeah. Honestly, and Lauren London said this quote, that I'll never forget. She said, we don't own people, we experience them. And that counts even beyond dating. Even if even if you marry someone, even if you have a child, like, and you know this, like, you gave birth to your child. He came from your body, but you don't own him. You're his earth guardian. And one day he's gonna go out into the world and be his own, f- He's not already. he's already a fully formed person, but he's gonna be his own evolved person who makes his own choices completely separate from you. And you will not be able to physically control that in the way that you can for the most part now and that's because you're experiencing him you don't own him you're a witness you're a witness yeah and it's like if we if we view it in a way where other people are opportunities for us to look into look into ourselves, they're like, we're, we're all windows to each other basically. Because it's like how we're interacting with each other now, me and you, Adrienne, this is a unique interaction and we have our own unique way of interacting with each other. The way that I interact with you is not the way that I interact with anybody else. And the way that you interact with me is not how you interact with anybody else. Because like how I mentioned the elements earlier, we have a certain unique set of combinations Mm. in ourselves that when we merge together we create this thing this power this thing between ourselves Um, and that's how we socialise and that's how we just interact with each other and so it's like when you kind of view yourself in a way where what about aren't you the person who is going to bring the magic to someone else's life? Surely you should kind of handle yourself with a bit more, actually, no, she's taken, actually, no, she's busy, she'll get back to you in two hours. Like, carry yourself like a real queen. Like, if you're gonna call yourself a queen, behave like one, like, ask yourself, Would a queen, like? can you imagine a queen sat in her palace fussing because a guy hasn't texted her back? (laughs) Or can you imagine a queen being like, oh, this man didn't text me back. Oh, well, I have 10 other people who would just be over the moon at the mere possibility of me having eye contact with them because I am a queen. Like, view yourself in that way. I know it sounds little bit funny but honestly when you carry yourself like someone who deserves to be treated well people will treat you well it's as simple as that hear it (laughs) <laughs> I love
1: you Chadira. I mean I, I could you, talk Adrian. to you all day and I just hope that for the listeners you know I hope that I hope they'll take you know what from whatever they need to whatever they want to but they'll also share it with someone who they know needs this conversation because sure. as women we all have different women in our lives different ages different stages in their uh, in their life and I think there's definitely yeah, a lot of women who I know need to hear this conversation. So thank you, Chidira. Oh,
0: thank you. It's for amazing. Me. I
1: mean there's so many things. I mean you're definitely gonna have to come back every year. But it's it to be is, a thing now. Definitely. But it, it, it is 2020, it is the start of a new year. Obviously there's a lot of things at this time of the year, I think, where people say, Okay, I'm committing to this or I'm starting this project or I am or you know, good for them, you know, gonna transition, gonna change, gonna embrace that. So I read something yesterday actually which I absolutely loved, which said what you will allow, what you you allow will continue, and I thought that is truth and wisdom. So I kind of thought about that for a while, like kind of in my mind yesterday and today. So, firstly, do you have any kind of affirmation or mantra for the year ahead? And what are you? What would you say to people at the
0: start of the year? There's this um, print I have on my wall, and it says, "Sometimes, not getting what you want is the greatest stroke of luck," and I wake up to that every day, and I remind myself that it's true, because in the moment, especially when your ego really wants something, whether it's a guy, whether it's an opportunity, whether it's even be able to get into that party, like, you really, really want it, you're just hell-bent on it, and sometimes you can't even explain why you want it, but your ego just really wants it. And you might feel burnt out afterwards, like, damn, I really wanted that, I'm so annoyed, and it just kind of, it forms this attachment in your mind. But actually, when you look back weeks later or even months later and you're no longer attached to that feeling, it's like, I don't even know why I wanted that so bad because now I've got better. Like I've been able to even forget that that happened and now better is in my life. And we should all try to be like that. I can't explain it. It's the equivalent to, you know, when a child is like holding on to. A piece of cardboard, and they just really like playing with the cardboard. They're just so obsessed with the cardboard. And you've got this whole VTech computer toy for them. And it's like, bro, like, look, this thing can take you to a whole new world. You can learn new words, you can hear sounds, it's got visuals, fam. Why are you holding on to the cardboard box? No, the box is it. They don't get it. Yeah, it's like you don't see the value in this thing and then life will find its way of showing you the value in it. So it's like understanding that ultimately, if it does not work out for me, it is not mine. I release it in Jesus name. And in the other hand, I receive what's meant for me. Like you just got to empty your hand. If the thing is, walking away from you then it's not meant for you because there have been so many instances in life where things that are meant for you just come into your life without you even lifting a finger and that's honestly how i believe it should be things should come and find you and the things that you're meant to pursue that will work out will work out anything else don't force it no forcing ponytails no forcing (laughs) trying to burst pimples like just stop forcing it let's just all stop forcing it (laughs) That is the mantra for 2020.
1: You are funny. Okay. <laughs> so before I ask you my closing question, Tadira, can you tell us all where we can
0: get this book and where we can find more of you and your wonderful work online? Oh, thank you so much. How To Get Over A Boy is out everywhere, February 6 2020. It's available in all good bookstores, including Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, Amazon for my international people Um But thank you so much for supporting me. Uh, you can find me online at the slum flower on all social media platforms, including theslumflower.com.
1: Yeah. Great. Get into it. And my final closing question for you is all about time. We heard before about Chadira's Power Hour. So if you want to hear more about that, you need to scroll back and you need to find <laughs> that first ever interview. But my question on this series is if you could have one extra hour every day, from now on, there's 25 hours in a day, what would you use your extra
0: hour for? Wow, I've never thought of this as a question.
1: Because everyone says it. They're like, I don't have enough time, Adrienne, That's to have a power so hour. True.
0: Honestly, I think I would use it to... I'd give myself that one hour to binge watch astrology stuff on YouTube. And the reason why is because astrology has been really, really instrumental In my life the past maybe like four months because I've started to I'm the kind of person where I need to put a reason behind something happening for me to be able to move past it so astrology allows you to understand there are there are greater structures happening around us whether we believe in astrology or not stuff is happening it's like not believing in the Sun but the Sun rises every day regardless of what you think Um, and so why astrology has been useful for me is because when I understand things like, oh, I'm a Gemini moon, which is why I'm, I love talking to people and I'm always going off on different tangents. And oh, I'm a Libra rising, which is why I need to be careful about being a people pleaser, because Libra is all about harmony. And sometimes we silence our own voice to accommodate everybody else in fear of creating tension. Or, oh, wow, in my second house, I have Pluto. So that means that I have quite a, um, Turbulent relationship with how I view money, and maybe I should, you know, work carefully through the way that I approach making money and like the way that I save money. And like when you look at your birth chart, by obviously, you need your mom to tell you your birth time, but when you know your signs and when you know where things are placed in your life, you can then almost anticipate certain things and you can stop beating yourself up and you can instead be like, okay. Maybe this behavior is reflective of the fact that I have this particular trait in my chart. So that's an opportunity for me to point out somewhere that I need to work, work on, as opposed to, cause some people tend to use astrology as an excuse to be a prick. Like, yeah, I'm a Gemini moon. So yeah, I just talk over people. Like that. I can't do anything about it, sorry. It's like, no, the whole point of astrology is for you to be able to point out your strengths and your weaknesses and use what's in your chart to work in your favor. That's why we all have a unique combination of elements. We have been given a set of tools in this lifetime and that's our own assigned toolbox. It's the equivalent to like, your friend has her own set of brushes and her own way of putting on her makeup. If you dip into her brushes and use, it might not work for you because she needs her eyeshadow brush, yeah? and There's only one eyeshadow brush. Maybe in your toolkit, you've got a beauty blender. Like you've been given what works for you in this life. and. Your job is to use what you have to create the person that you've been called to be. And that is incredibly powerful, whether you use astrology or not. So I would really dedicate that hour to watching things that remind me that there is always work to be done on myself and I can't just relax into my current state of evolution. I have to keep on evolving and I have to keep on moving beyond what I already know. I have to literally expand and absorb everything.
1: Lifelong learning to do it, it sounds like you need more than an hour for that. For that. <laughs> yes, but I love that. Thank you so much again for coming in and for being on the show. You are so wonderful. I hope that people will enjoy this episode and, as I said, share it with someone who needs to hear it. Thanks so much for listening to the Power Hour. Remember that you can rate and review on iTunes. Have an awesome week. See ya. Bye. Bye.